Hi guys, and welcome to the first episode of Let's Talk Criminology. My name is Jordan Cole, and this podcast will focus on how popular criminology, and more specifically podcasts, reinforce and reproduce mainstream ideas about crime and criminality, and how criminologists need to engage more in the media to challenge the status quo and educate others about crime, criminality, and the criminal justice system. Today we will have two short segments. We will begin by talking with Dr. Natasha, who is a psychologist that works with sex workers. We will discuss how victims are portrayed in the media, what is considered to be a victim, and how these media platforms can be beneficial to these victims. Also, just a note about this episode, the interviews had to be conducted over the phone, so the sound quality might not be as good in some places as it is in others. Hi, Natasha. Welcome to my podcast. Hey, Jordan. Thank you for having me. How about we start this off by you telling the listeners a little bit about what it is that you do? Uh, sure. Well, I'm a psychologist for about 20 years now, and for the past 10 years, I've been working with sex workers. And what led you to work with that population specifically? Um, I had a client. Let's call her Lisa. Uh, so Lisa came to me one day, and she was a sex worker. She had been raped. Uh, going through her entire process through the criminal justice system, I saw firsthand how her work was used against her as some sort of validation for what happened to her. Uh, because Lisa was a sex worker, she was not taken seriously. The media continuously shamed her and spoke um, about her in degrading ways. They said she was using drugs, which she never did. Her life was seen as worthless by the defense attorney and by the public because she chose to put herself in precarious and dangerous situations. Her entire story, her entire case really made me mad at the system and at the media in general. I realized that these women really have little to no support and are mostly helpless victims. That's when I chose to work with women sex workers. And what do you think is a common understanding of what a victim is? And how do you feel about how these understandings are being reinforced in the media? And this doesn't have to just be news media. I'm talking about TV shows or movies, podcasts, so on. Uh, generally speaking, a victim is someone who was harmed or killed as a result of a crime. However, uh, this is not what the general public believes when engaging with the media. Not everyone is deserving of the victim status, especially when it comes to women. Victimhood has become something that is socially constructed. For an individual to be considered a victim, they have to have suffered some kind of trauma and more importantly, be blameless. Yeah, and to add to that, I mean, the public has to validate the pain that they're going through. And if they don't fit what society thinks is representative of victimhood, then they won't be recognized as a victim, right? Yeah, exactly. The, um, the ideal victim would be someone who is vulnerable um, in the sense that they might be less able to protect themselves. They can't be seen as culpable in any way. They couldn't have contributed to what happened to them. Um, they are not deserving of a victim identity. This applies to all victims, but women are more envisioned as the ideal victim. Vulnerability is actually an important component of femininity. Not only that, but um, the same characteristics or uh, of emphasized femininity are the same ones that increase a woman's vulnerability. People have this common understanding that women are more vulnerable to danger compared to men. 
So this is one of the reasons why you chose to work with sex workers. It is, yeah, it, it, it really is. Um, sex workers who have been raped, beaten, or suffered any type of assault are never considered to be deserving of the victim identity. Um, they do not conform to what society deems acceptable. They, they are women who chose to put themselves in dangerous conditions. They knew what they were getting into. Um, so they're not really victims, you know. Um, right. And that is what society thinks and what um, tends to constantly be reinforced by the media. Right. So on top of having to be vulnerable and blameless, the circumstances also have to be outside of their control, basically. So there has to be this sense that there's nothing that they could have done in order to avoid living this. Indeed. Um, so this frustrates me really, really um, a lot. It also hurts me as I work directly with these women. Um, it is frustrating to see how these notions have simply become common sense and the media simply reinforces them. Even in things like crime podcasts, they just reproduce and reinforce these notions. I was actually about to say, I, I was listening to a podcast called I Survive, and uh, it was about this woman who had been stabbed multiple times. I believe it was about 25 times. Um, okay. And her doctor asked her what she had done to have made her partner so mad to do something like this to her. Okay. And then um, she states how she was not allowed to talk to the media, but the media was making her out to be this crazy woman who makes men do these things. But there was not much emphasis on that part Um uh, sorry, on that part from the host to sort of challenge these these ideas and these notions, you know? Yeah, I think that's so disappointing. Um, that is exactly what happens to the majority of these um, of women in these types of horrific situations. Um, however, I do think that it's beneficial for victims to have a platform to tell their stories, such as this podcast. Um, it permits them to resist the narratives that are kind of that they're kind of cast into, you know? Yeah, I agree. And even social media can be used in a really beneficial way. Um, have you heard of um, Insta Granny Pants Project? Uh, no, no, I, I haven't. Okay, well, it's this young woman. Uh, her name is Anna Densler. I'm going to hope that I'm saying that right. <laughs> Who uses her Instagram to resist online uh, sexual harassment. So she was getting really disrespectful and offensive messages from guys in dating apps. I believe it was Tinder and OkCupid. So she decided to draw these men in really unflattering naked portraits with the message that she received from them. She then sent the drawing back to them and waited for their response. So she posted these drawings along with their responses on her Instagram. By doing this, she was standing up for herself and for women in general who have to go through this. And she sort of gave harassment of face and identity um, it permits people to understand that these behaviors are not are not um, are not just from a few bad men you know using uh, using the media as a way for victims to rise and speak about what happened to them it, it permits a critical witnessing that's really great and i agree with you um, however i think that although we get a chance to feel what the victims feel in podcasts, uh, victims' experiences tend to be quickly forgotten uh, since they don't present solutions to the issue that we're spoken about. They simply tell a story and leave tons of unanswered questions and therefore do not provide an opportunity for a change. That's true, and it's definitely something that perhaps criminologists need to engage with and address the questions that crime podcasts do not, basically. So... Yeah. 
thank you so much for joining me today, uh, Natasha. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. It was my pleasure. For the second segment, we will be interviewing a journalist named Will, who has been in the field for many years. He was kind enough to talk to us about how he conducts his work and how certain stories are chosen over others and why. Hi, Will. Welcome to my podcast. Thank you for having me. So, Will, tell our listeners what it is that you do for a living. I am a journalist for a news channel called Ontario News Now. I have been working with Ontario News Now for about six years. I choose to study journalism because uh, it is a job that requires enthusiasm, determination, confidence, and keeps you on your toes. I completed my journalism degrees at the University of Ottawa and started working right away. I really enjoy what I do. I love keeping people informed. Awesome. Thank you. And walk me through how you choose the stories to report on. Well, my news director picks the stories that believes are important and have great news value. The potential news value will make him decide between a story about the house of Bulgari or a woman being stabbed 45 times. My job is to assemble together and write news stories in an interesting manner that will grab the public's attention. Right. So you're looking to reach a threshold, whether that is social, national or global. You want something that will have um, a perceived importance. Exactly. We as journalists have to always keep in mind what is going to be in the public's interest and find new angles to report so that the story doesn't become boring or stale. In order to achieve that, I often look at similar stories I have reported in the past. It gives me a predictability and helps me set my agenda. Interesting. Let me ask you this. I was listening to a podcast titled I Survived, and one of the stories was about a woman who had been stabbed about 25 times. She told her story and shared how the media accused her of being crazy and claiming that she tends to do this to men, that she makes, uh, she makes men do this. They also claimed that she was a drug user when in reality she was not. So is this part of the plan to reach a threshold? Is this um, a tactic that journalists often use to make their story more interesting to the general public um, who have this certain obsession with crime stories? Unfortunately, yes. Some journalists will go above and beyond for the stories to gain momentum and be published on the front page or have the most views on TV. Some mm-hmm. journalists are more than willing to cross certain boundaries to gain popularity. Anything to sell a good story. And do you think that's acceptable? Not necessarily. I think it is debatable and uh, there are certain boundaries not to cross. The point is not to lie. The point is to have a perfect angle to story. Interesting. Now. I know sometimes stories can get very complicated, especially if they involve the criminal justice system and a lot of legal terms. How do you manage with that so that you can reach a broader audience? We have little time to make an impact, so we have to simplify the story. We have to dump it down, so to speak. If we leave space for interpretation, if we make stories too long, or if we include complicated terminology, the audience will lose interest and change the channel. We have to keep it simple, 
black and white. And how do you manage to reach people's emotions? How do you write your stories in ways that people can relate to it? What journalists will do is trigger individuals' response. For example, if I'm reporting about a story that is crime-related, mm -hmm. I'm going to think about how it is that the person relates to crime. Mm -hmm. We won't necessarily focus on social structural problems. We are really going to put the emphasis on individual responses by focusing on how people usually relate and re react to a crime. I can think of different angles to report the story that will be interesting to this audience because I know it is going to speak to them. Right. And do you think that other forms of media like podcasts, for example, or crime podcasts more specifically, apply the same things as you do as a, as a journalist? They probably do. They want listeners to want their podcast to succeed. Mm -hmm. So they will choose dramatic stories. They will go for sensationalized stories in order to reach a certain threshold, as journalists do. And you said earlier that you'll think about how a person relates to crime in order to know what approach you will take when reporting the news. Is this related to what the common values are in society? I will think so. We all have our views. We all have our opinions and our ways of seeing things. These ideas are opinions that we have changed with time. They are never static. So the stories that we put out there follow that flux and uh, based on what people believe to be true. Okay. Well, Will, thank you so much for coming on here and doing this interview with me. I really appreciate it. It was my pleasure. Thank you. Crime podcasts, TV shows, news media, and other forms of popular criminology frame stories in a way that does not challenge society's perspectives about crime and criminality. It is rare that we will find stories that will talk about crime prevention or crime avoidance. Stories are told in ways that are beneficial to the writers without addressing important questions or offering solutions to social problems. As we can see with Will and Natasha's interview, social problems such as crime are generally being located within the individual. There is a need to change mainstream ideologies about crime and criminality in order for people to learn and perhaps have a chance to change the orientation of society's common sense. Criminologists are widely neglected and have not been given a chance to impact public consciousness. Therefore, it is important for them to participate in setting the agenda by having a professional engagement with the media. In doing so, they would take a step away from academics and perhaps influence the conversations around crime by doing news-making or views-making criminology. This is a call to action for criminologists to interact with the public in order to challenge the conventional understanding of crime and criminality and take a step forward that will create lively debates around social issues that will push for policy changes.